doors, bolt your windows, and turn off the lights. Welcome to Michael Myers Mint, where we used to delve into the 1978 horror classic Halloween one minute at a time. I was your host, Professor Robert E.G. Black. Before I get to my review of the latest film, Halloween Kills, I would like to note, in case you've been subscribed to the show this whole time, while we did the regular show in, oof, three years ago now, I don't know if I'll ever get to Halloween 2. Part of the problem was I was finally gearing up to get into it earlier this year. Been doing a lot of other movies by minute shows. I jump from movie to movie, do one, move on to another. And part of why I didn't get back to Halloween 2, my approach when I was getting to it earlier this year especially, is I was putting a little too much writing into it, so it was taking a lot of time to even prep. If you listen to my show Annihilation Minute, you'll see what I mean. I could write it word for word, and I kind of create a sort of narrative of the minute with outside sources, behind-the-scenes information, all that kind of stuff. When you include too much into that writing, it ends up taking a lot of time, which would make for a great show. But right now I don't have time for that, because I have several other shows about to start, I had other shows going. Maybe I'll get to Halloween 2 at some point. Who knows? Maybe I'll suddenly get a bunch of Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. And I'll be able to just devote myself full time to this. I already devote a lot of time to it. You can go back to a minute 42 episode entitled Making a New Halloween is More of a Gimmick Than a Love Affair. Or minute 43, No Brown M&Ms Allowed Backstage were my sort of two-part review of the 2018 Halloween. I expect this review will also come in two parts. Today is more of an unstructured rant, and then I want to actually watch the movie a second time and take some notes. One of the things specifically I want to note is every reference they make to other films of the franchise, because one of my problems is their mix of nostalgia and rejection of nostalgia. Because as I told my daughter, who watched this movie but hasn't seen a lot of the previous ones. I think Danny McBride and David Gordon Green fundamentally misunderstand the franchise, and especially misunderstand Michael Myers, and were even worse choices for the job of reinvigorating the franchise than Rob Zombie was. I have complaints. (laughs) That is to say. (sighs) Starting from the beginning, something I realized last night. Actually, our opening scene, I think, is, um, I forget the character's name, Bonnie, Lonnie's kid, who's dressed as Bonnie from Bonnie and Clyde. This movie sort of just forgets that he and Allison had a problem in the previous film. He's just suddenly around, and it's okay with that, because they want to get Lonnie back into the story and all these other characters from the previous films. I'll get to that later. Then we have our second scene. I think it's the second scene. Well, I think we cut to Laurie and Allison and Karen in the truck which is where we ended the first film, driving away and the fire trucks are arriving. And this is a this is a big... I didn't realize it as I was watching the film that it didn't make sense. Or maybe I did and I just didn't, like, consciously. There is no reason for those fire trucks to be there. They made a point of the fact that Lori lives outside of town, away from other people. She has her own land that is fenced off. She has a shooting range on there. She doesn't have a shooting range next to other houses. No one called in this fire. No one would have. Had Lori still been at the location, like they had called for an ambulance to pick her up, and she's screaming, let it burn, that would have made more sense. 
firefighters arriving. Instead, we get way too many firefighters showing up just so we can get a mass killing, which is also inherently not a Michael Myers thing. He has killed multiple people in a location before, but we usually cut away from it so we don't know the details. Like, I'm thinking of Halloween 4, the ambulance at the beginning. Most of those people probably died in a crash. He killed the first one he attacks, and then he probably reaches through and kills the driver. He doesn't have to kill the other people. Killing everyone at the sheriff's station, also in Halloween 4. Actually, in retrospect, I think I might have a problem with that scene. <laughs> Halloween 4 is one of my favorites in the series, partly because I've seen it a lot. 1, 2, and 4 I've seen many, many times. We get firefighters coming so that Michael can kill them in you know violent ways. I complained with the previous one that Michael is more Jason Voorhees in this film than Michael Myers, and that is true. Michael Myers is not stalking anyone. In the previous film, he, Lori thinks he's going to come for her, but he doesn't. He is driven to the house by the doctor, and in this one they acknowledge that. Michael Myers was not trying to get to Lori's house. He doesn't know where she lives. He's not going for her. He's going home. I did like, in a way, that because he's just trying to go home and go stand in his sister's room and look out the window, it reminded me a bit of Enda, which I talked about on this show, from the novelization of the original, this Celtic spirit that is there so that Michael Myers will sacrifice people to keep like the tribe. It's the same thing with the Thorn Cult in the sixth one. Someone has to be sacrificed to keep everyone else okay. And that Myers might have been watching over the town. He's a hero. Going forward into the story, I'll forget the order of scenes here. This is why I want to watch it again, is get a more clear timeline of the way it, it's put together. Things that don't work. Everything that happens at the bar. And I mean everything. You don't get up at an open mic to tell a story that everyone knows and only lasts like a minute and isn't told well. But they want us to realize, oh, it's Tommy. And this is a dumb introduction to a character that should be better. The movie operates at two levels. A level where all of these characters who were somehow connected to this story 40 years ago have been stuck on it for 40 years. I mean, that is scary to have a bunch of your friends get butchered by some random crazy person. Is it, though? Because all things considered, there's a lot worse stuff that's happening today. And, like, I mean, what, a couple people getting killed by one guy with a knife is not that big of a deal. Dude, her grandmother was almost fucking murdered. And she escaped, and they caught him, and now he's incarcerated. I'm just saying, like, by today's standards. But also it wants to skip over those 40 years and the whole franchise that we have been stuck on and makes this big jump where these characters shouldn't be that connected to it. Because Michael Myers didn't come back and come back and come back. He didn't keep killing people. He didn't kill people 10 years later in 88 and a year later in 89. And I forget, setting-wise, when 6 is. I know it came out in... What, 95? But I don't remember if it's set in 95. The movie is built around this. It's built around a nostalgia for a franchise while erasing the franchise. That's why I want to make a list of the references it makes to other things. Because bringing in the nurse, bringing in Lindsay and Tommy, these characters outside of the first film, Lindsay and Tommy don't matter. Unless you've read the Chaos comics, which I talked about in the show a lot and I had very positive feelings for. They aren't that important to the story. They're just the kids Lori was watching that day. We don't have reason to believe they're particularly traumatized. They didn't see anything. They know what happened, but they didn't see any of it happen. And I'm even, I even think the level of trauma and prep they went for with Lori, turning her into a Sarah Connors figure, is a little much for what she went through. 
1978 because she didn't get stalked to the hospital. She doesn't even know that anyone was coming to kill her. She doesn't have a reason to think he's going to come to her house and come after her because all he did is kill her friends across the street and then she happened to go there and he came after her because she was there. In the context of just that one movie, there is no personal connection with her and there is no reason for her to think there is one. I said in my review of the 2018 film that Laurie has become the Cassandra figure, like Loomis was, telling everyone that Michael is coming and they're not listening and they're all going to die because of it. And that's a nice twist. But in this movie, it becomes pointless because she spends, essentially she could have shot all of her scenes in like a day. Two days, I guess, because she had to film something in the pickup truck. Although they might have done that as a pun unintended pickup shot for the previous film. She spends the movie in the hospital. One of those nods to Halloween 2, but a nod that doesn't work because Michael never comes in. They don't share any scenes in this film. Who's our main character of this film? There's a question for you. Is it Tommy? Because what's his character arc? What is he going through from beginning to end? Is it Allison? Because what is her character arc? It's not Karen. She already had her character arc. She actually had a legitimate character arc in the first film. From being this daughter who has become estranged from her mother because she doesn't like the way she was raised, to learning that she was raised the right way because her mother was right. And then she makes the big gunshot at the end that is part of them defeating Michael. What purpose does Allison serve? In this, what do either of them serve? Tommy is, structurally speaking, our protagonist. But what do we know of Tommy? What does he do for a living? What are his hopes and dreams? And I don't mean that flippantly. If you go back to the original film, we know who Laurie Strode is. We know who Annie Brackett is. We knew who Linda is. We get a sense of their personalities. We get a sense of what they want out of life, at least in the moment. And they are teenagers, so we shouldn't necessarily know about their future. We shouldn't know what they want, but we should know what they want today. And we do. We understand these three characters. They are three distinct personalities. And even when you introduce Bob into that, we understand who he is. We know who the victims are. Who are the victims in this movie? What do we know about Tommy? Nothing? What do we know about Lindsay? Nothing? Do we learn anything new about the nurse that we didn't know from her scene in the original film, or the second film, or H2O? No. What's the cop's name? Hawkins. Does he have an arc here? No. I'm not sure why they brought him back from being dead. It's a cheap, it's a cop-out. Pun unintended. So Tommy's story is presented badly, and I mean his story in the film, and I mean the story he tells in the film. That scene in the bar, the whole point I don't remember other characters' names, but the guy dressed as a doctor for Halloween tells him, yeah, we all know that story, but we didn't know it was you. That last part is important. We didn't know it was you. But everyone knows that story. You don't need to tell that story. And you don't get up at an open mic and tell a story that lasts a minute. You go into a moth reading, you're going to tell a story that's like 10 minutes long or longer. A story that's only a minute, you don't waste everyone's time, ironically. Tommy's the one, I believe, that starts the evil dies tonight thing in the movie. We need all of you. Evil dies tonight. Evil dies tonight. All right, everybody, calm down. The sheriff's department. No, 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 sheriff. We will not calm down. We have watched your department fail, fail tonight. This is Haddonfield. This is our town. He killed my daughter 40 years ago. It desecrated her body. Evil dies tonight. God damn it, Brackett. I am the law, not you. Which I think is the tagline for the movie itself, and it's a 
bad. It's a, it's an okay tagline, I guess. But in the film, it is horrible. It's a dumb chant. The use of the mob of townsfolk is poorly done anyway. This movie doesn't establish a personality for the town. You know what did? Halloween 4. We got an idea from the teenagers and Jamie in Halloween 4 of what this town thought of Halloween, what kids thought of Halloween, what teenagers thought of Halloween. The relationship between the town and the holiday is important. Halloween 6 covers that really well, too, with the radio DJ coming to talk to people there. In this film, people don't even know what Michael Myers looks like. As someone pointed out, I think, on an IMDb review, his face would have been on magazines years ago. If he just escaped from the hospital, his face would be on the news. They also probably put a picture up of the mask if they knew he had it. But they don't know he has it. They don't know he's in Haddonfield. This isn't a continuation of a franchise where Michael Myers returns to Haddonfield over and over. He came back once in 1978. That was after 15 years. It's been another 40. There's no reason to assume he's even in town until he kills people in the previous film. Also, what time of night is it? I had to discuss this in the first film, is whether or not the time frame of things happening makes sense, and I figured it out. It works as long as the Halloween movie marathon starts at 7 p.m. And then 7 to 9, 9 to 11, another movie at 11. And so essentially the first movie ends, I think I figured out, somewhere between 11 and midnight. That's the original. The previous film, 2018, which needs a fucking title. I'm generally an apologist for reboots and remakes, because I'm like, the original's still there, and sometimes remakes are good. I mean, look at John Carpenter's The Thing. It's far better execution of that story than The Thing from Another World ever was. But using the same title again, like the gender-swapped Ghostbusters people complained about, is not... the For a remake, it's fine. That one was a remake, not a sequel. But for a sequel... It's like, hey, Halloween and Halloween, that's your series. No. I've actually come to terms with Halloween Kills as a title because I don't see it as a sentence. It's not Halloween doing the killing. It's these are the Halloween kills. These are the kills that happen on Halloween. And then I'm okay with it. And there's a lot of them. So it makes sense as a title. But what have they taken here? The original story, Michael, is two things. As written, he is this force of nature, like the wind, the shape that can show up, and it's, he's the danger of everyday life. Within the story, he is that stranger who you shouldn't be around and you should be wary of. Stranger danger and all that. I don't think that making him Laurie's brother detracted from that. Either of those things. He's still the stranger that stalks people. He is still a force of nature. I don't think that making him connected to the Celtic spirit Enda detracts from that because that gives him a longer history and a reason to be evil. So making him Laurie's brother gave us a personal through line that connected Halloween, Halloween 2, Halloween 4, Halloween 5, Halloween 6. Five out of six. Fuck season of the witch. Hey, it's a poem. Connects those. Hell, in that way, season of the witch even connects because it's about that Celtic magic as well. Celtic evil. In this one, they use the masks from that one. And this is why I brought up the time of day. The trick-or-treaters in this film did amuse me. Because they're dicks. Three little smart-ass kids who are out too late. But they're out really late. This movie takes place over the course of probably a few hours. Actually, it'd have to be a few hours. Lori has 
fucking surgery and is in recovery by the time Michael is back in town and has killed all the firefighters. In the previous film, even if Allison left the dance early, it was dark. It's pretty, really dark. It's probably 9 or 10, so we're well after midnight in this film, and those kids are just sitting at the park. Get some parents. I mean, maybe that's the point. It's funny. But also, I don't know why they're there. To play a joke on Big John and Little John? The gay couple who live in the Myers house? Why? Because we need jokes at their expense? Because you can be woke, as it were, and put your gay couple into the film, but you also have to make fun of them for the conservative side of the audience that's going to have a problem with their presence? Fuck that. How about they're just a couple who live there and they're happy? Because they're together and they know who they are. We don't need kids to take advantage of them. We don't need the reference to the razor blade, whether it's a Halloween 2 reference or a pathetic myth reference. Thing that never really happened. So then, taking whatever Michael Myers is. No, actually, not taking whatever Michael Myers is. Because from this film, from the 2018 untitled film, and the original, Michael Myers is just some guy who killed his sister when he was a kid, and then in 1978 came back to town and killed, let's see, the... One, two, three, four. The mechanic, Bob, Linda, Annie, two dogs, Lester, and I forgot the other dog. It does have one. Not in the movie. And if you go with some of the comics, he killed someone while he was in the hospital. Or two people while he was in the hospital. No, he killed someone while he was in the hospital, and then he killed someone the night he escaped. But in the movie, we're going by the movie because they've erased everything else. He's killed four people. Five, if you count his sister. Four people in 78. Lori lost three of her friends. And in the movie, we might assume she had no other friends. In the comics, she had another friend who was sick that day, so she wasn't at school. So from that, Michael Myers is just a man. But then you have the mask is magical moment from the frickin' cut abruptly and stupidly to title part of 2018. You feel it, don't you, Michael? You feel the mask. Say something, Michael. Say something. You feel it, can't you? It's a part of you, Michael. It's a part of you. Say something. Say something, Michael. Say something! Say something. Fuck you. Why do you even need him to speak? What's the point? That's what your big podcast get is going to be, is that you got Michael Myers to speak? Not that impressive. Because he's nobody. He's a guy who killed four people once, 40 years ago. All things considered, there's a lot worse stuff that's happening today. And like, I mean, what, a couple people getting killed by one guy with a knife is not that big of a deal. He's not the boogeyman. What makes him the boogeyman is what comes after. 40 years of nothing isn't scary. Continuing to stalk someone later into the night 
and killing the various doctors and nurses and whatnot at the hospital. That makes Michael scarier, makes him more determined, regardless of his purpose, whether it's personal or not. That he keeps going matters. That ten years later, when he hears he has a niece and he wakes back up and starts again, matters. That he's nursed back to health and comes back a year after that, matters. That this thorn cult needs him to be around because someone has to be sacrificed, matters. You take all of that away, Michael Myers isn't what he was. And he doesn't stalk anyone. Distinctions between Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees. Jason kills people to protect a location. But he'll kill everyone eventually, but he's just systematic. He just gets it done. Uses whatever's at hand as a weapon. More creative. More outlandish. Freddy Krueger will get you right where you Like, he's there when you're at your most vulnerable, when you're sleeping. But Michael is the thing that you see out of the corner of your eye. He's the thing that follows you from place to place. And he doesn't necessarily get you when your guard is down, though he will. He'll hide in a pantry and nail you to a wall with a knife. Or he'll put a sheet over his head because he wants to get close without you realizing you're in danger. Because that's scarier. Jason just sneaks up on you for jump scares. Michael Myers is the one that made me wary of a lump on the side of a tree when I was a kid. Because at night it looked like someone was standing there. Jason didn't scare me like that. Freddy didn't scare me like that. This thing they have in the 2018 and now kills doesn't scare me like that. The flashbacks. Something else I wanted to note on this unstructured rant. They could afford it. I noted in the show that part of the reason they didn't do an opening like this in 2018 is because they couldn't afford it. It was too expensive to do a scene set in 1978 unless it was going to be significantly long. And so they just skipped it. So it was a monetary thing. Now they have a bigger budget because they have the success of the 2018 film, and so they can afford to do a double for Loomis. But then they give him a stupid line where he says, Did Michael kill again? Which is weird. It makes Loomis even crazier than he was before. While at the same time being sillily placed, because we learn when they come back to the flashback that Loomis says that while the cops are already outside surrounding Michael. So Michael is standing outside the door when he says this. And then he goes outside to try to shoot him. To make Loomis even crazier, make Loomis a murderer, and put Hawkins into some sort of arc. Which would be fine if he's the one who kills Michael in this film, but doesn't, because no one does. So then there's the idiocy of all the townspeople trying to kill him. Killing the wrong people, getting together on their big trucks and going around like it's Halloween 4 all over again, but not in a good way, because there's no darkness in this movie. That's another reason I want to watch it again on a different TV. I didn't go see it in the theater. I saw it on a TV, I'll admit that. But I want to watch it again because maybe it's just the settings on my sister's TV. I don't know. This film was too bright. Movie with Michael Myers should be dark. I mean, generally, Halloween films are set a little too after dark, considering they always have trick-or-treaters out. Trick-or-treaters usually are mostly done by the time it actually gets dark. Because that's dangerous, walking from house to house. Townspeople chasing him down and Tommy with his bat. I think the bat had a name. I can't remember what it was. Something stupid, probably. That he took from the owner of the bar. So it was the owner of the bar's bat that he gave a name. And I think it had some story connected to his father. So it was a personal thing for that character. But that character doesn't even matter because he doesn't go out and chase after Michael, does he? No, Tommy takes it, and then everyone else ends up in the same chase. And more references to the old movies with the window getting broken and the nurse and the car. And... <sighs> Eventually, 
just like the previous film, their twist is, no, we've set a trap with Allison risking her life so that Karen can attack Michael and get him to come outside where the people are there in a circle to surround him because the police can't do it. And somehow the whole theme of Halloween and all slasher films that followed it, that adults are useless and you have to take care of your own shit because the world is dangerous and that's the only thing that's going to get you through it, is out. That theme's gone. And then the townspeople attack him and then they're like, oh, no, by the way, no, Michael's not human. That's silly. He's this horrible force. He's fear. Michael's not fear. He's death. Fear is reasonable. Fear is natural. Fear is something you should have when there are things out there that are scary and things out there that would kill you. Fear is healthy. And then they fuck up the ending with their editing, which honestly I think was probably worse than the theatrical release of Halloween 6. At least there we knew Loomis was going back inside to take care of business. We just didn't get to see it because they didn't film it and the actors did. This one is just like, oh, Karen's going back inside for some reason. And Michael's in there because the police didn't surround the place or anything. No one bothered to fucking check the upstairs. Never mind, we don't even know what happened when he got up and killed everyone. Or how Karen's still alive, if that happened. Meanwhile, all the other characters that we brought back because of nostalgia, and we're going to love seeing these characters again. Oh, they're all dead. Fuck them. Fuck that. Fuck Danny McBride. Fuck David Gordon Green. I didn't even waste my time on too many positives, did I? Maybe I'll have someone I rewatch. The trick-or-treaters amused me, but they also were problematic with the timeline. The... Nope, nope, no, that was it. That might have been it. Everything else sucked. Unnecessary flashbacks. No, visually, the flashbacks did an okay job of looking like South Pasadena. That alleyway looked like the alleyway a block from the Myers house. They had a Myers house. Although I'm pretty sure, and I'll double check this when I rewatch, that in the flashback scene, that is a different set than they used for the Myers house in the present. And I don't just mean because they cleaned it up and all that. Pretty sure they put the door to Michael's bedroom in the wrong place in the flashback. Because the cops go up the stairs, and rather than turn right and go into a doorway that's to the right, the doorway is to the left. And the doorway shouldn't be on the wall at the end of the stairs, because the wall at the end of the stairs is the back of the house. They added the kitchen for the production of the original film. The house is actually very shallow. It's only two rooms deep. And so to the right is Michael's bedroom, which also has a doorway connecting to Judith's bedroom. And then another door out of Judith's bedroom, back to where the stairs are. I'll double-check that when I rewatch. But pretty sure they got that wrong. And I don't know how. Floor plan's easy. Maybe they used a real house, and the present one was a set. I don't know. If they were both sets, then there is no excuse for that. And that's just one more thing they got wrong. The previous film at least had a better sense of location. I think I got a better sense of the town of Haddonfield in the previous film. And it was a logical one, if you're going to erase all the other movies, is that Haddonfield doesn't care about Michael Myers. This movie is the opposite. It's everyone was just waiting for the right signal. And then they were going to care. Part 2 will follow soon. Going to try to watch it again sometime this week. That is all for this review. Michael Myers Minute is a production of was a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. The old Facebook listeners group doesn't exist. 45 Lampkin Lane is gone. They just got the address wrong in this movie, didn't they? They put it on Lampkin. They showed it a street sign. But it was not 45. It was the old, actual Myers address from South Pasadena. 707 Meridian? <sighs> you don't need to subscribe. Go back and listen to all the shows. 
but also come listen to my other shows. Dave made a minute. The Room minute. Mandy sucks minute. Yeah, my negativity goes other directions too. Usually I'm positive. The Room minute is a fairly positive show, even though we're talking about The Room. Five Minute Arrival. Annihilation minute. Pump Up the minute. Cock and Bull minute. Forgetting something. I always forget something. I have too many shows. Twin Peaks Radio. Coming up very soon, you have Minutia Ex Machina, The Groundhog Day Project, Minute by Minute, and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. Those three are going to be running together and crossing over with guests and themes. If you like what you hear, there's no Thorn Cult anymore, but you can still donate through Patreon at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Until next time. See you later. Bye.